Oh, we can do better than that. Clap and shout now. Giving the fruit of your lips, which is the sacrifice of praise. Come on, shout to God while you're clapping your hands. Oh, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Amen. Well, why don't you give somebody a high five? Tell them you feel the Holy Ghost on your way back to your seat. Amen. If you enjoyed the presence of the Lord in here tonight, praise God. Praise God. Amen. Good to be in Sebastopol. Glad to be here in the house of the Lord. Good to be at Midwinter Summit, this youth conference. Good to see all of you that have arrived today. And uh, good to be with all of my friends and men of God. Thank God for their ministry. How many are thankful for the men of God that are here? Amen. I thank God for what we heard today. Brother P.J. White did an incredible job preaching to us. And uh, don't ever forget praise is more than just clapping your hands at church. It's more than just going through a to-do list and a worship set. Amen. Thank God for us being reminded what praise really is. Amen. So we love. How many have been blessed by Brother White's ministry this week? Amen. If you have your Bible, let's go to the book of Matthew. And uh, those of you that are listening on Holy Ghost Radio, we have had a great time yesterday and today. And uh, it's going to be a good time tomorrow and tomorrow night. I want to say thank you to... Uh, Brother and Sister Copeland, their family. How many love the Copelands? Hallelujah. Amen. Now, I like to preach. I like to uh, do whatever I feel God's doing. And uh, I wrestled last night. I was going to preach this. And then I thought, no, I'm going to follow the Holy Ghost. And then I was going to preach something else. And it seemed like I'm having a hard time getting what time I'm supposed to preach what. And uh, when I read my text tonight, some of you may think, well, you missed it by about a week because I'm going to preach from a Christmas text. But I think if it's in the Word of God, it can be preached anytime. So if you have your Bible, let's go to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse number 13. Amen. Thank God for, I was thinking about some particular people that are here tonight and how they've impacted me and uh elder bass is here tonight i love him appreciate him never forget a sermon i heard him preach Uh, i was just a young man he was already an elder and now he's an elder elder and uh i was just i was just a young man uh, at the time and uh, i didn't understand the full weight of the message he preached But Brother Bass, after pastoring a little while, I learned that I need to learn to speak instead of smite. I'll never forget the message you preached. It greatly has impacted my life. And more than one time, I have gone to the pulpit and on my way there, I have prayed. God's kind of reminded me of that message and said, calm down, son. Just say what I tell you to say. So I'm going to attempt to do that tonight if that's all right. Uh, Let's go to Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 13. Amen. I'm rejoicing for what God has done in this community and and good to have all of the young people here. Young people, are you ready for the move of the Holy Ghost tonight? Praise God. 
Let me see the hand of everyone in here that has young people. Even beyond that, if you have a lost loved one who grew up on Pentecostal pews that's not in church today, let me see your hand. How many believe God can bring them back? Let me see your hand. Amen. I'm just claiming... Brother Haddon, good to see you. I'm claiming that 2014 is going to be the year of the backslider. I believe there's some wayward children that God wants to bring home. I've I've even got the feeling that some wayward parents are going to come back home. I believe some of you pastors and saints of God are going to see people that walked away from God come back through the door. And there's going to be a revival in 2014 of backsliders. Brother Adcock, I believe it's going to happen. Praise God. Amen. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 13. The Bible says, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. Be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Everybody say, to destroy When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Now pay close attention to these next two verses. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. In Ramah was there a voice heard. Lamentation, weeping, great mourning. I want to preach for a little while tonight on this subject. Rachel and Ramah. Rachel and Ramah. Would you put your Bible down? I want you to lift your voice unto God and ask the Holy Ghost to begin to move in this sanctuary right now. Lord, I'm asking your presence to fill this sanctuary. We've praised you. We've given an offering. We've celebrated. We've testified tonight of your good works and what you're doing in the earth. I'm praying that beginning right now, there would be a move of the Holy Ghost that awakens something in somebody. And somebody in this room that may be away from you or cold in their spirit, let the anointing of the Holy Ghost touch their life, stir their spirit, and bring them back to the place they need to be in you. Give the Lord another hand clap of praise tonight. Our God is worthy of all praise. You may be seated. Rachel and Rama. This text that we have read tonight, especially verse number 18, is somewhat strange. And if you are reading, as many of us no doubt have done over the last couple of weeks in the holiday season, we have maybe read 
this passage, and if you're like me, about verse 14 or 15, my ADD kicks in, and I'm moving past this strange part of the story, and I'm moving on to uh, the rest of the story. And especially verse number 18 almost feels like an insertion into the Christmas story. Uh, and it's not, we're not the only ones that feel that way. Bible scholars, or those that call themselves scholars, have, have placed verse 18 as the subject of debate. Not a new debate, it's been around for a long time. Uh, it has even fallen beneath the weight of what has been known as textual criticism. It's where a bunch of people who think they know uh, and are in the know when it comes to Scripture and language and writings and authorship, they have deduced that this Scripture is maybe something that Matthew has made up and inserted into the text. And there have been those that have debated it, whether it uh, is even valid, Then there are others that say, well, it's valid, but we're not sure whether this is a prophetic utterance or whether this has already been fulfilled. I always look with a jaundiced eye at those that want to attack the text of the Word of God. We'll never be smarter than the Word of God. We'll never be smarter than those that pen those original words. You're looking at one preacher that still believes in the inerrant Word of God. I still believe that Jonah got swallowed by a fish. I still believe that Jesus turned water into wine. I still believe that the Word of God is right. Hallelujah to the Lamb. It doesn't matter what your professor says. It doesn't matter what your internet friend says. If the Word of God said it, it's true. You may as well get that in your brain. If it's in God's Word, you can take it to the bank. We still believe in the apostolic church that the Bible, the Word of God, is the inspired or God-breathed Word of God. Punch your neighbor say, I believe it. For all of those scholars that are trying to figure out if Matthew made it up, they should have read their Bible. Because he didn't make it up, he was actually quoting from Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 15. This wasn't a new passage. This was not a new utterance. This had been given before. And so for a better understanding, if you will, of Matthew's account, let's go back to the first account where Jeremiah had made reference to Rachel and Rama. This was Jeremiah's account, was the very first time that Rachel and Rama are united. And for the sake of my message today, it's a moment where poetry and prophecy come together. Now, most of us young people here tonight are familiar with Rachel. We know who she is. We know her story. And I won't take the time to go into everything about Rachel. You've you've heard about her since you were in Sunday school. And we know that she was the beloved and the favored wife of Jacob. 
And we also know that she had been barren for a long time. She had wanted a child and she had had to live in the house and around the family gatherings as Leah, that wife that Jacob had been tricked into marrying, had been a fruitful bride. And here she is in the time of life of childbearing and she is not having children and her heart has been broken and she has prayed and sought God and nothing seems to happen and her barrenness has gone on and gone on and gone on. But finally, God hears the prayer of Rachel and God gives to her a son. We know who that son was. Joseph was the first one. She would be given two children. We know Joseph well. He's a character of Scripture that that we know a lot about. And a little time goes by. Joseph is growing up and now she is with child again. She's expecting another child. And so, I'm not sure how it all unfolded. I kind of question uh, Jacob's uh, sense of understanding. Or, I guess, let me say it another way. It's a youth conference. I'm questioning Brother Howard his sanity. Because he plans a trip with his family when his wife is nine months pregnant. That's idiotic. I wouldn't want to do it in my nice air-conditioned leather seat car with an air ride. Much less say, honey, get on the donkey. We're taking a trip. I don't know how your wife is, but my wife had two kids too. And something happens around that eight or ninth month, brother Haddon, you know what I'm talking about. They get a little, uh, it, it's almost demonic like, you know, they, they get that feeling and something, something happens, brother Bass, you know what I'm talking about. And so now I'm not sure about his sanity as he plans a trip. But he says, we're going to take a trip, honey. I want you to load, uh, help me load the kids up. And when you got that many kids, can you imagine all the luggage they're carrying? And he's got two wives. I don't even want to think about that luggage. Load the donkeys up, get the kids together, pack the bags. And, and here they begin the family trip to Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is not the best of locations, especially back in this day. They begin the journey, and it is evidently a hard journey. And it is in the last uh, session of her pregnancy. And along the way, I'm not sure how it all happened, but somewhere along the way, uh, she gets word in the caravan, Honey, you're going to have to pull this donkey over. You're going to have to stop the trip because something's about to happen. I remember the night my, my wife told me, Sister Johnson, we got to go right now. Suddenly everything else stops. It don't matter what you had on the to-do list. It don't matter what's on the calendar. It, it, it's that look. It's, it's an anointing that you've never seen before. And I don't know how it was, but something got through to that husband. You better pull this wagon over. And there on the side of the road, she began to go into labor. And it was hard labor, so hard to the point that she died on the side of the dusty road. And here on the road to Bethlehem, the Bible tells us that this mother and child are separated at birth. 
here on the dusty trail to Bethlehem. A mother that had dreams for a child that she had carried for nine months is now ripped from her. The dreams are crushed. Hope is deferred. And here a mother is taken from a child. Mother's gone. And so now they're to pick up and move from this point forward. But here is a moment where all of the dreams, every, every mother in this room knows about the dreams you have for a child. Every young person in here, if you've been raised in a godly family, your parents have had dreams and ambitions for you. And if you're here today and you're a young person, you are in the church today, every pastor and every parent and every godly ministry has desires for children and young people. That's why we're having this youth conference because somebody desires your, your life to be effective and important to the kingdom of God. And here on that dusty road on the way to Bethlehem, the hope that a mother had for a child is ripped apart. I don't know if you've ever thought of it. This home was thrown into some strange events. Division comes into this home because mom's no longer there. I've often wondered, Brother Copeland, if mama had been in that home, would the boys have fought the way they did? Would mother have been able to pull him aside and said, Joseph, I I wouldn't tell that dream quite that way. I wonder if mama had been there to kind of kind of warn him. You know, your, your other brothers, there, there's some division here and jealousy here. So son, maybe, maybe you could just kind of tone it down. But mama's not there anymore. And, and son's uh, away from what had been united. And Rachel's not in the home anymore. And so it's not long until jealousy enters the picture. And, and then before it's over, this favored son of a favored wife who is now gone is sold into slavery. And he winds up captive in a foreign land, a slave in Egypt. Now what does that have to do with Matthew? This is the spot on the road where birth and death were together. It was the place where Jacob buried Rachel. From the moment that this boy is born and mama dies, before the caravan picks up and moves on, Jacob goes alongside the road and buries Rachel at the place that was to become known as Ramah. Ramah was five miles north of Jerusalem. Are you with me? Say amen. Rama would become a place, a landmark for the Jewish people. You read about it in other places. Saul has been searching for his father's donkeys. And he comes upon two men. And the Bible said they are by Rachel's sepulcher. It became a landmark. It became a distance marker. It became a gathering place. It became a meeting place. And now this story... 
this, this event that takes place where a child is separated from a mother. This child with great future in mama's dreams. The dreams are ripped out of her life. Death enters the picture. It all began at Rama. Now, let's fast forward to the year 586 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar begins to take control of Jerusalem. He comes into this community. He comes into Jerusalem. He begins to pillage and rob and take and steal. He is going to lead captive people from Jerusalem and take them back to Babylon. History records that Nebuchadnezzar began to move throughout with his spies and his army and his secret service, if you will. He begins to move throughout Jerusalem and the suburbs. And he begins to look for Jerusalem and Israel's most skilled and talented young people. He begins to steal and take from Jerusalem those that have abilities and those that have gifts and those that are filled with potential. He begins to find those that have the ability to be professional. He begins to even move through the homes of the priest. He begins to pick out, history says, those young people that have particular giftings and particular gifts. The wealthy had a trade. Came from a home where daddy was a gifted artist. History says that at the conclusion of his number of months and years building up to that final, if you will, invasion, he had already picked out those 10,000. Everybody say 10,000. He took 10,000 of Jerusalem's best Those that had the potential to be great. Those that had something that had been handed down to them to accomplish great things in life. He wasn't looking for an entire nation. He just said, give me 10,000 of the greatest and the brightest and those with potential. I'll take those. What does that have to do with our text? Well, it's interesting because the journey from Jerusalem... To Babylon actually began at Ramah. Ramah was five miles outside of Jerusalem. And history says that Ramah was the place that he had gathered his captives. Almost like the corral, if you will. The, the holding tank or the holding center where he would gather them and corral them together like lambs to the slaughter. It's almost reminiscent of the train depots and the places on their way to Auschwitz and Dachau during the Jewish Holocaust that Hitler and the Nazi army would gather those Jewish slaves and gather them into the train depots to load them on trains to head to their demise place that he gathered them was Rama. 
It was there that he gathered 10,000. They had, now I wonder what the night it sounded like as the soldiers had gone to the homes and began to take out a daughter. And you could hear the wail of a mother crying as her baby is separated from her. And that beautiful young lady that sang so well, oh, that she's grabbed and taken out of the home. And, and now she's gathered like cattle at Rama and she's put in chains and linked to another. And they're all on their way marching to Babylon. These children, these young people, full of potential and ability are now on their way to captivity. They're now slaves. They're captives. I wonder how many of the strong young men had put up a fight. I wonder how many had died trying to save a child. I wonder how many had stood by the wayside and watched as soldiers' strong arm carried captives to Rama. And now the sound of girls crying and the sound of boys groaning and they're bleeding and they're bloody and they're gathered at Rama and they're there and they're being tied together and bound together. And, and soldiers with whips and swords are banging them upside the head saying, get in line, don't say another word. And here it is, 10,000 of Jerusalem's brightest and gifted and most full of potential are herded like animals to a slaughter. Families are ripped apart. How many are crying in Jerusalem? How many boys and girls and young people are crying, wondering what's going to happen to their life tomorrow? And they're now bound. They're in the holding pen. They're now being put in chains. It all begins at Ramah. And it is to this situation that the prophet Jeremiah says, A voice was heard in Ramah. Lamentation and bitter weeping. And then with the skill of of an anointed poet, Jeremiah draws the picture that begins to stir our soul knowing the background of what we're seeing here. You can almost see it as I preached it tonight. And as you read the text, you can, you can see this mystical picture as suddenly the anointing and the poetry and the prophet all come together. And almost like a ghost from the past, from the dusty trail where she died, torn life is torn from her. And she has died giving birth to that little boy and all of her dreams for her baby are ripped from her. And now the ghost from the past rises from the crypt like a spirit rising in the night. Rising from the tomb, the sepulcher on the road to Bethlehem. The ghost of Rachel stands looking at a crowd of captive young people. And above the sound of clinking chains, the shouted orders of Babylonian soldiers, the eerie sound of a mother groaning and weeping, crying over what she is losing, weeping over a child that had so many dreams, 
crying over a young person that they had such plans for and thinking about the future of Jerusalem and thinking about what could have been with little Susie or little Johnny or little Mike and now that 13 year old boy that daddy had such dreams for and that 17 year old girl that, that had a future ahead of her but now is being dragged by a cruel taskmaster and there above the sound of chains and soldiers cry is the eerie haunting sound of a mother that is weeping that refuses to be comforter, comforted and it's haunting and it's piercing into our soul today futures destroyed homes torn relationships ripped what could have gone wrong how could it have so, so brutally have been done to our home how could it happen to the youth group how could it happen to the synagogue how could it happen to us here is Rachel moaning and growing and she is weeping for her children refusing to be comforted estrangement separation tears Crying. That's Rachel and Lama. No wonder we skipped this part at Christmas time. Fast forward from 586, five centuries into the future. Wise men arrive in Jerusalem. Word gets through the city, the entire city is in an uproar because the roar is about these wise men are searching for a king, a new king. They're looking for a child. They're looking for a child with potential. A child that is to be the king. A child that they have heard about and studied about and searched for answers in the heavens and for whatever reason, I don't know how strange and how far back it goes, but but when you look at the Old Testament and there had been a point where the glory had departed out of the temple and went out the east gate and you look after the glory departed out of that temple, the glory was never found again in the temple after that. Because sin was in the people of God. But, but somewhere, something, was it the Shekinah or the Shekinah? What was it? Somewhere way out east, some wise men got to looking. And they began to read and study. I don't know what all they read. I don't know how far it happened. I don't know if it was comets and stars or whether it was the same fire that came down and led them in the wilderness of old. But something had stirred up some people that were hungry. And they wandered into Jerusalem. And they said, we are here to find the child with potential. Word gets around and makes its way all the way to Herod's throne. There's a king that is born in Israel. He's the hope of Israel. He's the hope for the world. This child is set for the fall and the rising of many. This is potential. This is the future. This is the one that we've looked for. And so from the east they have come to worship. It's potential. It's the future. It's the son we have all waited for. And Herod hears about it. Go find this king and bring him back to me. Herod, the incarnation of evil. Herod had killed his own son because he viewed him as a threat to the throne. He killed his entire family 
because of a rumor that had made its way through his, through his court. And so he called his own family into the throne one day and killed them all. And now this is the guy that the Magi are coming to to tell about a king of the future that's going to rule over Israel. Yeah, right. We'll take care of that. I'll kill my own son. I'm not worried about yours. And so here is evil that is coming to destroy whatever potentially could be. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 13 said that Joseph was warned by God and he takes the child and he flees into Egypt under the cover of night. A little note I want you to remember for later on. Egypt and night. A son in Egypt and darkness. Herod begins at that point his insane inquisition of death all along the entire coast. It goes for two years. He's looking and searching for every child that could fit the model of that baby that could be two years old or even a little younger. And for two long years, history says that along the coast, on the road to Bethlehem, anywhere that little boy could be, anywhere that young man with potential could be. He begins to murder and kill and tear apart families as suddenly voices get to be told there's a boy over there and before it's over this family's telling on that one and another boy is ripped out of a home. He searches and begins to kill every child that could potentially be Attempting to destroy the future. And Matthew, writing from Syria, the anointing that had been upon Jeremiah, suddenly that old unction gets on the rider and again prophecy and poetry are placed together in this moment and Matthew begins to pen the same words that Jeremiah had said and like a ghost Rachel rises again along that same dusty road. The memories of Rachel is death and 10,000 of Jerusalem's finest the same dusty road she rises again from her tomb and again above the cries of moms and dads whose sons have just been killed Rachel is again moaning and weeping and again Rachel is heard in Rama refusing to be comforted sons killed Children separated. Families torn apart. Bondage, slavery, death and hopes crushed. And a son with so much potential. Night falls. And we've lost him. Brother Howard, he's somewhere in Egypt. No wonder, Brother White, we skip over this at Christmas time. 
But the truth is, this is probably the part of Christmas that we can relate to the most. I can't relate to gold and frankincense and myrrh. If they'd have brought bills, I could relate to that. I can't say I've ever been out in the field and the heavens opened up and there's angels singing. I can't relate to that. I, 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 I can't relate to any, of, any other part of the story. I mean, we got virgin birth and kings involved and wise men showing up. Seems like most of my friends are half dumb. But the one part of Christmas that we can all relate to We've all got some family that's in Egypt tonight. We've all got some friends that used to be in the youth group with us. We've all got some family that had a lot of potential. There's some moms and dads in this room that you put on the smile last week at Christmas time and you opened the presents under the tree and you sat around the dinner table, but there may be a mom or dad who had an empty chair at the table because a boy somewhere strung out on drugs. There's some young lady that wasn't home for Christmas because she's shacking up somewhere with somebody whose life is headed nowhere. And that's the part of Christmas that our world knows a lot about. I've thought about the last few days, how ugly that, that place called Rama really was. And Brother Bass, I have thought about young people that I have preached to over the last number of years in my ministry that had so much potential. I got a call just a few weeks ago or a text, didn't even have the strength to appear, but they just said, you know, Pastor, I'm cashing in the chips. I'm giving up. One of the most talented, one of the most gifted, one of the most people that I would have thought had the most potential of anybody, but something has happen we dress it up and we sing the carols and we gather and we give the gifts and we eat the turkey and the dressing and we go see friends but somewhere we all know the pain of potential that has been lost at the road of Bethlehem can you hear the cry I'm preaching to somebody here today I know it's a youth conference but I don't care who, who I'm preaching to the Holy Ghost is speaking to everybody here tonight there's a mother right now while I'm preaching. The Holy Ghost is here today, but you can't hardly respond because you're hurting so bad. And you're saying, preacher, why do you have to remind me of how bad it is my baby ain't here? Can you hear the cries of a broken-hearted mother? Brother White preached about the other side or the forgotten side of praise. This is the other side of Christmas that nobody wants to talk about. I'm preaching to families in here tonight that know what it's like for your family to be torn apart. I'm preaching to young people that know what it's like for a big brother or a big sister to walk away from God. I'm preaching to pastors that know what it's like to look at the people that have the most gifts and most talents. That have the most, am I preaching? Y'all understand what I'm talking about? Those that have the most potential to be a blessing. And it seems like Nebuchadnezzar did. It's like he moves through the church 
finding 10,000 of the finest that have the most to offer. And that's the one. It's heavy in here. And mother can't seem to find comfort. She's weeping over her children. Brother Young, why are you preaching this at a youth conference? Well, number one, I'm hoping I can spare some of you with potential right here. Because there's an evil king that wants to drag you to Egypt. Wants to drag you to Babylon. While everybody's shouting and dancing, there's a king that's got some soldiers moving through here looking for who he can devour. Looking for who he can take away. And I want to warn some of you, but, but i got to be honest with you. What I have preached has not killed anything because we were worshiping and shouting no matter what the weapon is. I want you to know we win. I didn't know you was going to pull that song in there at the last minute. I don't know if you all had that plan or not, but that was my little sign. Look at your neighbor say, this is a swivel church. Y'all got to come the first night to understand what that means. This sermon's about to swivel. Because that's not the end of Christmas. It's in Christmas. That's in the story. Because like in your Christmas, there's a lot of pain. Say, brother, it's the craziest thing. It's New Year's and you're preaching about Christmas. Maybe I just want some more presents or something. I don't know. Look at your neighbor and say, this thing's about to turn. I want you to loosen up a little bit. Just as heavy as it has been in here the last 15 minutes. If you'll hear the next 15 minutes or 10 minutes of this message, it'll get that high as we have been that low. Because that was not the end of what Jeremiah had to say. I've come to preach to you that Rama is not a dead-end street. Let me take you all the way back to Rachel and Jacob. Remember, he said, we're going somewhere. He didn't get in that camel or on that donkey to stop at Ramah. He said, go back and read it for yourself. We're going to Bethlehem. Ramah was not the dead-end street. It's not the end of the Christmas story. Because it was under the unction of the Spirit, the poet and the prophet said in Jeremiah 31, 16, Thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping. I need some help right now. And refrain thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, and they shall come again from the land of your enemy. I know you're crying, Rachel. I know you're weeping on the dusty road at Rama, but wipe your tears. I know 10,000 are walking away, but you hang on a little while. Your baby's coming back. Your child's coming back. Christmas don't end at Rama. There's still a Bethlehem. There's still an 
I know you're watching as your baby separated you, Rachel. I know you're watching as 10,000 with potential are bound in chains. I know you're crying as babies are being killed all over this coast. Now it makes sense. Why Matthew wrote, so that it would be fulfilled. My son who is in Egypt is coming back. You know why that was in there? That was for a mom and dad in Sebastopol that got a baby that's backslid and is in Egypt under darkness and is bound and can't be here today. It's a word to you that I don't see it today, but I got faith. My baby's coming home. My son's coming home. My little brother's coming home. My big sister's coming home. They're coming out of Babylon. They're coming out of Egypt. I'm claiming 2014 as the year that they come back. I claim it. In case you didn't know it, Israel's most potential is not in Babylon tonight. My God, you came and preached in my church about how blessed Jerusalem is. And how blessed, this church ought to know that, how blessed Israel is. In case you don't know it, they're in the land tonight. It don't matter what Babylon did. It don't matter what Nebuchadnezzar did. There's a promise. Your babies are coming back. Your son's coming back. I know he looks like he's in chains tonight. But you wait. I'm about to do a work. And your boy's coming home. I'm preaching a Pentecost to young people today. I know there's been some young people that backslid. Oh, Brother Adcock, you were telling me about some struggle. I got a word for you tonight, brother. Get ready. They're coming back. There's some boys that aren't in the youth group tonight, but get ready. They're coming back home. There's going to be some young men this year that come to an altar and raise their hands. And they're going to pray back through to the Holy Ghost. My God, I wish I had half a church right now that would agree with me and say my son's coming home. My sister's coming home. My brother's coming home. My God, if you got a backslid brother or sister, I want you to get down here right now. You got a backslid child, you ought to get down here right now. You got a backslidden family member, get down here right now. I'm through preaching, musicians come. Rama is not a dead end street. I don't care how dark it looks. I don't care how ugly it seems. I don't even care how addicted your son is to drugs tonight. I don't care how strung out your daughter may be. I don't care how far away they seem from God. Does anybody feel even half of what I'm feeling right now? What I'm preaching to you is not just a sermon. What I'm preaching to you, I really, really believe. Let me tell you, let me tell you something. I had never seen this until, not this past Christmas, a week ago, but a year ago. 
Like every pastor at Christmas time, we're looking at the Word of God. We're looking for sermons. And we're, what can I tell my people? I'm going to tell the Christmas story. God, I don't want it to be boring. I want it to be something fresh. And I got to reading it. And, I got, and I, that just jumped off the page of me. Rama and Rachel, that's the weirdest part of the story. And I got to look and went back to Jeremiah. And got to looking at Rachel's first encounter at Rama. And, and I just got to feeling this. I went to my church. It was the Sunday. I guess it was two weeks before Christmas. And I preached what I just preached to you. I preached to them. And I said to my church, I said, I don't know what's going to happen. But I was praying this week. And God gave me this message. And I said, I'm just here to tell some parents, your young people are about to come home. That was on Sunday night. It was actually three weeks now. I remember it was three weeks before Christmas. I preached that. I had a funeral on, I think it was Thursday. I was on my way. It was a funeral at a funeral home. And I was in the car on my way to the funeral home to perform the funeral. An elderly man who had used to attend our church, who had moved away, and it's just one of those life old man. And my phone rang. Didn't recognize the number, and I hit the speakerphone, driving, and it was a voice of a boy that was away from God, a preacher's son that was living in San Francisco. The last time I had seen him, he had been strung out of his mind on drugs as he had passed me in the parking lot of a grocery store. Hadn't seen him in over a year. This was one of the brightest, gifted, talented musicians. He had been with me on missionary trips to Honduras. He had been with his daddy starting a church in Montana. Walked away from God. Was shacking up with some chick in San Francisco. I said, Austin, is that you? He said, yeah, pastor, it's me. I said, what's going on? He said, I need to pray. I'm like, really? He said, I said, where are you at? He said, I'm in San Francisco. I said, well, uh, I'm on my way to a funeral. Uh, how, how can I help you? You got a car? No, I don't have a car. I said, well, are you wanting to come to Sacramento? He said, yeah, I got to come to the church and pray. He said, my life's crazy. And I'm thinking, well, is he going to jail? Has he been arrested? Somebody about to kill him? What's going on? I said, okay, well, let me hang up on my way on my way to the funeral, but let me make some calls. And I called my father who pastors in Oakland, and he made some arrangements with his youth pastor, and they picked him up, and they drove him. Uh, I said, I'm gonna be, I called him back. I said, you're going to have a ride. They're on the way to get you. I'm going to the funeral. I'll call when I get out. While the funeral was going on, the funeral lasted forever. It started an hour late because the family couldn't get there. And boy, the whole time I'm just thinking, what in the world's going on? I got back in the car and I couldn't get anybody to answer. No, he wouldn't answer his phone. And I had called and made arrangements. 
They're going to bring him to the church. And so I drove to the church. And when I got to the church, Austin was in the prayer room. Tears rolling down his face as young people had gathered around. And I watched a boy that was away from God. A backslid preacher's son that had been shacking up with some girl in San Francisco. I watched as he lifted his hands. And God refilled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That happened four days after I preached this message. The following Tuesday night, it was, I don't know how it is here. My church, my church, people get in holiday mode. And sometimes our midweek service during the holidays between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I'll just be honest with you, they're not the most exciting. We're not shouting. People got holidays on their mind. I, I, I'm just being honest. I know y'all are always swinging with the chandeliers. but So I knew that. I try to be a wise pastor. I'm not going to try and drag people through, you know, whatever. And so young man in my church, had, he's uh, studying apologetics in college, and he's got a message he does or a lesson he does, and it takes more faith to be an atheist than to be a Christian. So I announced to the church, I knew they was in holiday mode. I said, I said, Brother Adam's going to be teaching Tuesday night. Y'all need to come back and he's going to do a deal in this holiday season. You, you students are on, on uh, Christmas break and this is going to be great to go back to college. So come back Tuesday night. And so we came and he got up and he did his lecture and it was cool and everybody clapped at the end and I took it and made a few announcements. And uh, it wasn't, we wasn't, we didn't even have, I don't even think we had any music going on. It was just melody. It was just a lecture night. And I said, bow your head. Lord, bring us back at the appointed time. Lord, we thank you. And God bless these. Bring a, you know, I just did the little prayer and dismissed. I walked off the platform this way. And as I was walking off the platform, one of the cadets said, Pastor, did you see who's praying? I said, praying where? I hadn't even given an altar call. I hadn't even invited anybody to the front. He said, look. And I turned around and standing over here was David. David was the backslidden best friend of Austin. David had backslid about the same time and they had walked away from God. What I didn't know is that David had been at that service that night. And Austin had been working on him and he brought him down to the, I didn't even give an altar call, but he said, we got to go pray. And I looked over here and David had his hands in the air, a backslidden young man, 20, 19, 20 years old. There wasn't no music. There wasn't no conviction. There wasn't no hellfire and brimstone. It was just one friend who had prayed through a week before praying with his friend. And before it was over, the young people ran over there. And before it was over, David had prayed back through to the Holy Ghost. Now, remember I told you that Austin had been shacking up? He was shacking up with a girl that didn't even really believe in God. She got so mad. Austin told her, he said, McKenna, I'm through with you. I'm going back to church. I'm getting my life right. I'm going back to Sacramento. She got so mad. She said, I'm going to that crazy church. She showed up. The next Sunday morning, she was going to see what kind of weird cult her former lover had gotten into. 
She sat on the left-hand side, and there was David and Austin shouting. They were having a good time. She came back. She made the mistake of coming back the second time. Sunday night, before it was over, she was in the altar, and God filled her with the Holy Ghost. She's in the choir today. Word got out. Word got out. I'm telling you, no matter what the weapon is, I want you to know we win. I wanted to sing that in just a moment. We're fixing to sing that. But I want to know, I want to tell you something. What I preach to you tonight, I preach to them. And suddenly, the youth group started going, my God. Woo! Austin prayed back through. David prayed back through. McKenna just got the Holy Ghost. One of their backslidden buddies, Sean, heard about it. He showed up on Thursday night, didn't even come to youth service, didn't even come to church. He came to prayer meeting. Sean walked in. They called me. I was out of town preaching. They said, Sean just prayed back through to the Holy Ghost. And in the next 60 days, hear me, hear me, hear me. Something happened in our church. It was like backslider after backslider began to come in. And it was like this crazy, young people, I, I don't even know how to describe it to you. It was like this crazy faith got a hold of the youth group. They actually started believing that their brothers and sisters could come back. Parents actually started believing what I had preached. They started believing, they started getting together and praying. That's an amazing thing when the church starts believing what the preacher preaches. They started believing. January opened up the second Sunday of January. Everybody, there was an excitement. These backsliders had been praying through. And all of a sudden, I looked down. There was a woman just falling out, talking in tongues and shouting. I'd never seen her before. Somebody came and said, Pastor, Pastor, do you know who that is? I said, no, I don't even have a clue who that is. They said, that woman has been backslid for over 20 years. I'm telling you the truth. In the next 60 days, we had over 30 backsliders pray through in 2013. Brother Jeff Hoffer, you were there. I preached this message last year uh, in Spokane. You remember that night? That day, I preached this message, and I, I didn't, I, I didn't know anything about Spokane. I've only preached at conferences there a couple of times. Uh, and while I was preaching, I didn't know it, but a preacher's son was down and came over here, and on the side, a backslider prayed through to the Holy Ghost. And while the, listen, 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 I'm not stretching this. This really happened. Brother Huffer can confirm it. While I was preaching and gave the altar call, the back doors opened of the convention center and a backslidden preacher's daughter walked in. Wasn't even there for the sermon. Wasn't there for any worship. But something drew her into that church that day. She came to the altar and lifted her hands and God refilled her with the Holy Ghost. Listen to me tonight. What I'm preaching to you is the Word of God. If you would begin to believe the Word of God, something could happen in your youth group. Something could happen in your family. I wish faith would begin to rise as they begin to sing that song in just a moment. There is going to be something that happens. I don't know if somebody may come in the back door or somebody may walk in Sunday when you get home. But I've got a feeling that 2014, some boys are coming out of Egypt. Some girls are coming out of Babylon. Some people that we gave up on are about to come home.